Great. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for being so accommodating as a venue. Uh, we've had the first of our two meetings in the morning, so forgive me if I preach and then run out the door to go to another meeting which starts in five minutes. Oh no, it already started. It started 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago. So I'll then be rushing back and then preaching there again for the third time of today and then coming back again to do the fourth one later on. So it's an absolute privilege to be here. My name's Alid. I'm one of the members and leaders in the Kings. And it's an absolute privilege to be continuing our preach series looking at the book of Romans. Have you enjoyed looking through Romans? It's been good, isn't it? We've entitled this series, God's Power for Christian, uh, for Christian Living. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to get straight into Romans chapter 8. Uh, if you don't have one, it's fine. It will come up on the screen uh, to my left. Um, and I'll just read it out for you now. So chapter 8, verses 1, and we're going to go down to verse 13. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could just stay there, couldn't we? Um, and then go home. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Oh, I like this. Man, 15 minutes of worship and you're like, woo, 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 it's good. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh anymore, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the minds on the flesh is death, but to set the minds on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. It's going to be a good day. Amen. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we're just going to go through this a uh, bit of a time. I'm just going to kind of put some key headlines. Um, and I've kind of chunked them into two main sections. I think verses 1 to 4, he's outlining some of the what, some of the key things we need to understand and then from verse uh, 5 to 13, we're going to look a little bit into the how. So how do we actually live that out? Before we do that, I'm just going to pray. It's always good to ask the one who wrote the book to help you understand it. All right? So let's just quickly pray. God, just thank you for your word. Thank you that you're here, Holy Spirit. And we just pray, would you give us ears to hear everything that you want to speak to us today? And we don't just want to hear it and leave this place and not let it change us. But I pray, would you help us to implement what you teach us? 
And I pray would you put it into our hearts so that we can live out and live in the benefit of your truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this passage starts with, there is therefore, all right? Which implies that what Paul is about to say, what we're about to look at, is only true because of what he has already said in the preceding chapters. Does that make sense? He's saying, therefore, something, well, we need to look at what he's already said. So let me just outline a few of the truths that we've already heard through this preaching series, if you haven't been here, particularly in the last couple of chapters of Romans. We've learned that God is completely holy. He's completely holy. He is righteous, which basically means that there is no sin found in him. He is completely other than because we are not holy, which is another thing Paul talks about in Romans, is that actually we were born sinners, Not just were we sinners, but actually we're born slaves to sin under the controlling power of sin. And the problem, the Bible says, is that our sin has created a massive barrier between us and a holy, righteous God. In our own flesh, in our own means, in our own efforts, it is impossible, it said just there, to please God. We can't come in relationship with him, which is why we needed a saviour. Now, the outworking, if you like, of God's holiness on our sin is wrath. So Paul, earlier on in Romans, is talking about actually the wrath of God is going to be poured out on man because of their sin. But then we have this wonderful saviour, Jesus Christ, don't we? And what what we we learn about in Romans, actually, that wrath that God would have poured out on sin, it's actually all of that was poured out on Jesus on the cross. So that if you are in Christ Jesus, you could say, There is no wrath coming my way. There is no accusation or judgment that comes to me because actually it's all been placed on on Jesus, our perfect saviour. So you read how Christ was crucified. He's now risen in glory. We are now justified, which means you've been made just before God. We are now dead to sin and alive to Christ. As Sam said, we are now dead. We're not slaves of sin anymore. We are slaves to righteousness. We're slaves to him. And then Paul sums up the message of Christianity in this great conclusion of Romans 8, where he says, because of all of that, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of all of that that he's listed on those preceding chapters, like, because of that, if you are a believer, if if your life is in him, there is no condemnation for you here this morning. Hallelujah. Praise God. So that's the first thing I want to pick up. No condemnation. I've just got three things for each of these sections. No condemnation. That is the essence of Christianity. That's the central foundational message from God to the world. That is what we announce. That's what we're pleading. That is what we're trying to declare all across Bex Hill is if you put yourself in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. The enemy loves to add caveats to God's word. We know that. I mentioned that a few weeks ago. He, he loves to just put doubt in your mind. God's calling. It's interesting, if you go back to Genesis 3, the very first time we actually see the enemy, we see Satan, the first thing he says, he starts with a question. He says, did God really say you cannot eat of any tree in the garden? Did, did God say that? No, he didn't. 
But it was close, wasn't it? See, the enemy's number one tactic is to take a truth of God, but just somehow twist it or change it, even if it's just a word or two, to put doubt in your mind. So when God says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, let me tell you, it means no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what you were thinking during the worship. It doesn't matter what you did last night. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. It's been put on Jesus on the cross. And I think that's why Paul says it so emphatically at the beginning of this that we're looking at today. No condemnation. This is because we're now a product of what he did, not what you do. <laughs> do you understand that? Well, just remember, cast your mind back to that day when you asked Jesus to come into your life. When you said, man, God, you've taken all of my sin. He took all of that sin, not just up to that day, but all of your sin, your sinful life that you will live, that you have lived in your life. Jesus took all of it. And he said, you are no longer condemned. All of that judgment was put on Jesus on the cross. And this is legal language, isn't it? Condemnation. We hear that often when people say, you're condemned to, you know, death. Actually, that was the case for us. We were condemned to an eternal punishment, separation from God. So therefore, it's legal language, which means actually now, because Jesus has taken that for us, it means you've got no debt to pay. Do you understand that? You've got no debt. You, don't, you, you couldn't pay. You don't owe God anything in terms of, I've got to try and win his approval. No, Paul says, there's no kind of, you've already got God's approval, live out of that. There's no penalty to pay. God holds no charge against you. He finds no fault in you, regardless of this morning or yesterday. All of your sin, all of the enemy's accusations, all of God's wrath, all of God's condemnation was poured out at Jesus at the cross. If you're in Christ Jesus. That's a big if, guys. So let me just love you enough and be honest with you enough that if you don't know Jesus, all of those things are not true for you. But you know what they could be? Man, I would love them to be. Do you know, God would really, beyond anything else, God would want them to be for you. It says that God loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I think just as amazing, John three seventeen. for God did not send his son to condemn the world that the whole world will be saved through him. That, that's, that's God's heart. All of that is not true for you, but it could be if you put your life in him. Maybe even today you could even make that first pitching step of just saying, I'm just going to inquire. I'm just going to ask some questions. I'm just going to find out a little bit more what it is to live a life for Jesus because it seems to be a big deal, and it is. Okay, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Now let's just, let's just be clear. There is nothing wrong with the law. There is nothing wrong with where God has set the standards. God hasn't made a mistake at setting a bar at a particular height. There is nothing wrong with the law. 
So God didn't make some mistake in giving the law and then sent Jesus to try and tidy it up. The law in and of itself is not wrong. But what the law does do, it indicates everything that is wrong in us. Wrong in you and in me. I, um, in fact, last week when Paul preached, it was interesting when, it, when the Apostle Paul, so Paul that was talking about the Apostle Paul, was talking about coveting within our passage. And he's saying, actually, when the law came, you sometimes didn't even realize it was an issue until it was put, presented in front of you in black and white. And you realize, actually, sin is down here and it bubbles up in all kinds of ways that I didn't even realize. I wasn't even thinking about it. But when it's there, it's like, wow, that's really an issue in my life. It's, um, I've, I've got... Um, I've got three children, and Caleb, who's nearly two, um, a few weeks ago, he was up in the girls' bedroom on a little table in the corner of their room, scribbling on, um, on paper, drawing, doing drawings. And he was doing a great job. And I, I should have just said, Caleb, that's brilliant, well done, excellent, love that, love that. But instead, as I was walking out of the room, I just looked at Caleb and just said, Caleb, just make sure you don't draw on the walls. All right? You learn, don't you? Listen, and he's my third child. Anyway, I leave him for a bit. I come back. What's he done? <laughs> he was thinking, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> Kid's bedroom, walls. His bedroom, walls. And he was, I, I could see in his eyes, he was like planning what he was going to do in our bedroom. You see, that's what happens sometimes with the law. So I wasn't even thinking about that, but actually what happens when it's presented to you, the law isn't wrong. It's not wrong for me to say don't draw on the walls, but actually when it's presented there, there's something inside. It's like, oh, that's just something that wants me to rebel. It's something that wants me to do that. That highlight, the law highlights what sin is in our hearts. The highlight brings everyone, the, the idea of the law is it brings everyone to a place where you say, I cannot reach the bar without him. I can't do it. There is something wrong. There is something about this life of slavery and sin that controls me that I can't control. That's why I need a saviour. So the law isn't wrong. The law, God's standard for righteous living, highlights our need for a saviour. So verse 4. So what happens? What does God do? He sends his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, just like you and me, who's fully man and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. This is interesting. Verse 4. In order that... The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh anymore, but according to the spirit. And this leads me to my kind of second point within this section. That Did you know that you are called to live righteously? We're called to righteousness. See, I find it really interesting because there's scriptures that talks about Jesus came not to erase the law, not to sweep it under the carpet. He came to fulfill the law, didn't he? But that is not a get-out clause for us. Because what does it say? He says, actually, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in you and me. You, do you hear that? Actually, we are free from condemnation. We have been given the Holy Spirit, not so we can carry on living life the way we were, but that so Jesus, when he modeled how to do life, we can follow in Big Brother's footsteps and live life the way that we should have done. We live in righteousness. Why? Well, I couldn't do it in my flesh. That's why Jesus came. But it says we no longer live in the flesh, which leads to death. We live with the Spirit, which enables you and me to live righteously. 
We're called, to, we're called now to fulfill the law in our daily lives with the way that we act and conduct ourselves. You don't look too pleased about that. It's not licensed for us to carry on doing what we want to do. It's our opportunity to walk in the freedom of living the way that God had always intended us to live. We're called to righteousness. So the reason it says that we were forgiven, the reason that we're free from, uh, from condemnation is so that we can now live God's way. The key purpose, actually, for salvation, and you read it across the Bible, but particularly in Romans, is this whole idea that we are freed to be obedient in faith. The result of our salvation is that obedience will be evident, that we'll start to reflect and become more and more like the one who saved us. I wonder, though, whether this only really makes sense, because I can see there's some people thinking, well, what does that mean? I think if we grapple with this key phrase in verse 2, which said, for the law of the Spirit, so, okay, so, Alad, what you're saying is that when we're living in the Spirit, it can let, let us live righteously, but this says, but for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free, all right? So, there's something about freedom, all right? So, we just need to look at what true freedom is, because the world would say to you, friends, that you are trapped. The world would say that Christianity is about constraint and limitations and not freedom at all. That's what, the, that's what the world would say, is it not? And if you look through a world's perspective, you say, actually, they're right, because the Bible says I can no longer sleep with who I want to sleep with. The Bible says, actually, I need to not do those things anymore. Actually, I need to live rightly. That doesn't talk of freedom. It talks about restraint. But it's interesting that when the Apostle Paul talks about living a life of righteousness, he pairs it with freedom. He says, actually, living righteously, living contrast to the world, is not limitation, it's freedom. And what's interesting is if you look at Romans chapter 1, one of the ways that God's wrath is poured out is that he allows those people that are free in the world to go on sinning and to live in their freedom, knowing that actually it's not freedom at all. In fact, as you walk down that path, it only leads to death. It leads you further and further away from what true freedom is, which is that you're living in line with the purpose in which you are made. Do you understand that? Say, I am free. You are free. You're free. Not to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I am free now, not to be constrained by what sin told me to do, but now live in line with the way that God made me to be. That's what true freedom is. We find most satisfaction and fulfillment. You find your purpose most when, surprise, surprise, we live in according to the purpose in which he made us and we find our satisfaction and fulfillment in him. We, um, we used to have a cat called Jasper, um, we, uh, it was used to be Dan and Andrew's cat, and then it came to us when they moved to the Yemen. He was a lovely cat. I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with Jasper. He was really lovely. He would always poo all over my garden, which wound me up, especially when I went to mow the lawn. And he would sleep on my pillow, all right? That's where he found freedom. That's where, actually, the cat, he was free to roam. And where he would love to go, there's a couple of spots where he'd love to go, either underneath the radiator in the living room or on my pillow. And he would sleep there all day. So... And often, I didn't like that because when I came to sleep, I was like, his bum has been here all day. It's like, 
It was horrible. But that was, that was, so Jasper, he was free to go where he wanted to go. And those are the places he went. Now, Jasper sadly passed away. Um, <coughs> no more poo in the garden. But last Christmas, we bought eight little fish for the girls. We've now got six. Um, I would be really surprised if I came home from work one day and saw one of the fish laying on my pillow. Like, this is what freedom is. Or underneath the radiator in the living room. It's, it wasn't made to be there, regardless of how much time the cat might say, man, it's great up here, you need to come here. Are you, do you understand what I'm saying? You're, what, what Paul is saying is that you weren't made to live life like a cat. You were made to live life in the water. That's where your freedom lies. And what sin does, it tries to convince you that actually somehow the appeal of sin and living a life apart from God is where true freedom is. But it leads to death. Do you understand? You weren't made to be like that. So when God says, be perfect as I am, be, as I am perfect, don't be fooled into thinking it's about constraint and limitations to freedom. It's God's encouragement to live in line with the way that you were created to live. Okay, so these first four verses then, the what, Paul is saying the reason God freed you from condemnation is so that you might be able to live his way. Not reluctantly, but actually willingly, submissively say, God, man, I've found a way which actually I find purpose in because it's the way that you made me. To fulfill the righteous requirement of the law because it's the best thing for us. So freedom isn't the ability to do anything and everything outside of God's will, but to live in line with his will and the way he made us. And then he goes on to some hows. Starting with uh, this phrase, not according to the flesh, not according to the flesh, but of the spirit. So this first thing is talking about identity. Now, you'll be forgiven for thinking that we've talked about identity a lot through this series. But I think the reason the Apostle Paul talks about it a lot is because it's hard for us to really understand. For it to get in our Noah, you know, for it to travel from here into here as well, for us to live it out. Not according to the flesh, our old way of living, but actually now it's about living in the spirit. We are no longer enslaved to sin, but we are free, not just from the condemnation, which we've talked about, but free to live a life in the spirit and then paul goes on to detail a little bit how this happens all right verse five for those who live according to the flesh they set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit but to set the minds on the flesh is death but to set the minds on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to god for it does not submit to god's law indeed it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, hallelujah, if you're saved, are not in the flesh anymore, but you're in the spirit. There is a completely new identity for you. You're no longer living in the flesh, but you're living in the spirit. And that enables you to live and think about life in a different way to what it was before. So these different identities, flesh and spirit, leads to different ways of thinking. Let me say it again. 
if you're in the flesh, the way that you think will be different to the way it is when you're in the spirit. Things change. It's a mindset which brings about different ways of living, which you know what brings about different results. So Paul says, if it's a mindset that, that is on things of the flesh, it brings about death. But a mindset on things of the spirit bring life and peace. So how, how you think very much determines and controls the outlook and the way that you live your life. I once heard um, a guy talking about academics. I it, just, it just made me chuckle. I thought it was funny. He said, the thing about professors, he said they live in their heads. And he says they, they see their bodies as a mode of transport to get their heads to meetings, <laughs> which I just found it funny. But what Paul is saying here is, it actually, your head, this thinking will actually control you. Your mindset will control where you go, what you do with your hands, what comes out of your mouth, what you are thinking. It, it starts and is one here in our minds. It's a mindset. Set your minds. And it's not about positive thinking. I feel like I'm repeating maybe a few things that I said the other week. It's not about positive thinking. It's about right thinking. It's not about meditating and emptying our minds. No, it's about filling our minds with the things of the Spirit and meditating on Him. That's a big difference. That's what brings transformation of life. Remember Romans 12. So later on, Paul will say, don't live, don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, the thinking, the mindset of this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me tell you, if you start, working if you start doing battle with your mind, it will transform your life. That's what Paul's saying. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, if you want to see differences and changes in your life, if you want to see God doing other things in your life, often it starts here. You need to renew your mind. You need to think about, you need to ponder, you need to meditate on the things of the Spirit. To choose to act in sin or to make steps to live away from what God's best is for us, which we know from the Bible brings us harm, it leads us to one conclusion, right, which is this. Our mind has been set on a lie and not on the truth of God. If you choose to sin, with all the understanding and knowledge that we know from the Bible, it's because we have decided that the lie is worth it. That somehow sin is not actually that bad or that somehow satisfaction with God is not quite satisfying enough. The fuel for the fire of sin in our lives is lies. Lies about who we are. Lies about who God is. Lies about our position and our identity, where true joy and satisfaction may be found. And as, we, as we've already seen, the devil is a great deceiver. And it says that actually we have fiery darts, arrows of the evil one coming at us. Night and day, all the time, they're going to be sending lies our way. 
And we have a choice to make. Do we look at the appeal of what sin does in the flesh? Or actually, do we say no to sin and live in righteousness, knowing that actually the truth is flesh leads to death, but things of the spirit lead to life and peace? Let me put it this way. Laurie brings in uh, a big platter of food, and it looks amazing. It's your best dinner. I don't know what that might be. It might be like a big seafood paella, or maybe it's a steak and chips, or a big lasagna, or whatever it is, and you look at it, oh man, and it looks amazing, all right? And then I come along, and I say, I wouldn't eat that. Steve made it. Tell you what, the last time, the last three or four times Steve's cooked for me, I've been sick as a dog. I've been really ill, really poorly for days. It was terrible. You've got a choice to make, haven't you? Haven't you? You're looking at it thinking, man, but it just looks so good. But you've been given more information, which is you know that that is just going to make you sick. Do you know, every time sin, every time temptation comes your way, there's a reason it looks appetizing. Man, it looks like, man, I could really feast on that. You might even get enjoyment for a while. But the truth is, the whisper in your ear is, I wouldn't eat that because it's going to make you sick. Do you understand that? You have a choice. But your choice will be dependent on what truth you're willing to believe. You either believe the truth that the enemy is saying, which is, well, it's not a truth, is it? A lie. You either believe the lie, which is this is going to bring you satisfaction, or you believe the truth and you say no to sin in order to find satisfaction in him. You have a choice to make. But whatever choice it is, it must be dependent on who it is, it is that you're willing to believe. Okay. It sounds so simple, isn't it? Well, just say no to sin. <laughs> if only it was that easy. But again, the Bible talks a lot about us having to wage war against sin. Having to take every thought captive. Having to run the race well. Get to the finishing tape. Because it's a battle. Because there is a war going on and we need to fight the flesh. Let me just highlight just a few reasons why I think sometimes this could be a real battle for us. And the first one I've already mentioned, you are hearing lies every single day. I'll just be totally honest with you. Often when I wake up in the morning, I know that the enemy is trying to download lies in my mind about who I am, what I'm like. I, d I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's every time you look in the mirror. Maybe it's every time you look at a plate of food. Maybe there's different thinking. Maybe there's different lies which have changed the way that you're living your life. They're lies from the enemy, and it says in the Bible that they come thick and fast all the time. Just when you think you've got a measure of this one, one gets you in the back. It does. So we need to be aware of the enemy's tactics, and we need to make sure that we confront lies with the truth of God. Isn't it interesting when Jesus, I find it really fascinating, the Spirit, takes Jesus to get tempted in the desert, right? So, Je so Jesus is aware there's going to be some temptation. After 40 days of not eating, it says he was hungry. 
And then the temptation comes along. What does Jesus say? Don't just feed on, man doesn't live on bread and wine, but on every word of God. And you know, for every accusation, for every challenge, for every temptation that the enemy put forward, what was Jesus' response? The word of God, the word of God, the word of God. Every lie that comes along, we've got to be able to understand what the lie is and we've got to battle it with truth. You know, the best way that you can identi- identify a forgery is by really understanding and, and learning the genuine article. All right? So if you were to get someone that maybe um, looks at forgeries and kind of finds out forgeries with things like money, they don't spend their day looking at forgeries. They spend their day looking at the real article. So as soon as a forgery comes along, it's like, well, I know that that's not right because it doesn't have this, it doesn't have this, it doesn't look like this, it doesn't feel like this, it doesn't smell like this. They know the genuine article really well. So when these lies come, we've got to know the Word of God. We've got to, we've got to eat the Word of God. Don't eat your Bibles, but you know what I mean. We, we've got to digest it. I'm, I'm all up for quiet times, but the Bible says that actually it's, it's meant to be part of us. It's not just something we do to tick a box. Actually, we've got to live out the Word of God. Meditate on it. Live on it day and night. Um, so that's hearing lies every day. I think the second thing, which there will probably be people in the room that know more about this than I do, I think actually sometimes anatomically, like in our bodies, they sometimes fight against us. And I think this is particularly the case when it comes to things which are habitual. So maybe things like pornography, maybe things like drug misuse, maybe things like alcoholism and stuff like that. You can get someone who's completely saved and has a different mindset, but their body, their mind, their brain has been so mapped and has got pathways which have happened for years and years and years. Actually, sometimes there's a real struggle to break that. Now, there are times where God, in his grace, does things in a moment. I think, though, the reason that there is so much in the Bible encouraging us to fight the flesh is even in this. Actually, even when your body is so mapped to do something, the Holy Spirit can give you what you need to be able to say no and to move and to change. But there is something actually of a, uh, in, our, in our brains and our pathways that sometimes you've just done something for so long, it's sometimes a bit of a battle to just say, no, I'm going I'm to stop doing that and I'm going to start living in a different way. I think the third thing that just came to mind as I was preparing this was emotionally, sometimes our emotions can stop us from accessing the truth of God. Why? Because I think people can sometimes have such a strong narrative on their life which is now counter to their adoption in Christ. They were always told they were useless. They were abused. They were neglected. They're so entrenched in their history that it creates barriers for them to really access in the truth of God. I think, again, this is where Paul would say, okay, we need to take every thought captive. We need to start fighting the good fight of faith. We need to start putting our promises on him, put on the helmet of salvation. These are the things that equip us, regardless of whether you've got battles in your emotions, whether you've got battles in your brain, whether you've got battles with lies. God has given us a spirit. We live out of the spirit, and he enables us to make a choice to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness. Just a couple of minutes left, just going to round up. I'm not saying, as a Christian, you'll be sinless. I am saying that, as a Christian, you will sin less. You will. Do you hear that? You will. Why? Because the Spirit in you, in the renewing of your mind, in the truth of who you are, and the truth of who God is, 
helps you to say no to sin and yes to righteous living, right living. So you will sin less. That's what sanctification is, is you becoming more and more like him. You're understanding and living more and more in line with the way that you know that you were made to live. And that's why we must start with who we are, because it's what empowers us to live lives that line up with our identity in Christ. I don't know, it might even be worth the band actually coming back up, because we've only just got a minute or two. There's this last phrase I just want to quickly look at uh, at the end of verse 13, but I'll just kind of read it, so don't worry about the slide so much, Gay, although you'll see it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Put to death the deeds of the body. Put to death is an active pursuit for killing sin in your life. It's not passive. It's, it's not a permission to just live with compromise. Actually, when we live a life of righteousness, we, do, we wage war with sin. Tim Keller says this. He says this about putting sin to death. He says, it means a ruthless, full-hearted resistance to sinful practice. The very word translated as put to death is violent and total. It means to reject totally everything we know to be wrong, to declare war on attitudes and behaviors that are wrong, give them no quarter, take no prisoners, pull out all the stops. This means as a Christian, they don't play games with sin. You don't aim to wean yourself off it or say, I can keep it under control. You get as far away from it as possible. You don't just avoid the things you know are sin, you avoid the things that lead to it and even the things that may be doubtful. This is war. Can I just say, we need to be a lot more radical with dealing with sin in our lives because we're not called to live the way that the world does. Do what I want to do when I want to do it. No, actually I've called to fulfill the law and righteousness in my life. To live righteously. Why don't we stand? I'm just going to pray for us before we God, I want to thank you that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Oh, God, I want to thank you that for each and every person in this room that knows you, they can say, I stand here without charge, without penalty, without blame, because of you. But Lord, I want to thank you that you haven't just saved us from sin. But Lord, I thank you that you have saved us from having to live a life under the control of sin and we can now live as slaves of righteousness to you. And Lord, we say if there's any issues in our lives, any areas of our lives that are at compromise, we say, God, we are so sorry. We choose to repent and lay them before you and say, we do not want that to lord it over my lives. We want you to lord over our lives. And so we say, would you forgive us? And we say, God, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here would you come? Would you come? Would you partner with us? Would you empower us, as we've heard in that scripture, to reign in life, to walk in life in righteousness? 
not fulfilling the desires of the flesh, but fulfilling in the spirit the purpose in which you've made us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.